So we're in a series called uh, The Heart of a Disciple, and what we've been doing in this series is talking about uh, how or, or who the disciple is. A disciple is a follower of Christ and his teaching. And, and what is the posture of the disciple's heart? How is the, the heart of a disciple different than the heart of the non-disciple? And, and, and it first starts with choosing who you're going to follow. You're going to follow Christ, or are you going to follow yourself, follow the world, follow something false? The disciple is chosen. They're going to follow Christ. Uh, but then what begins to happen is they're transformed and their heart is different. Now, this word heart is used over a thousand times in the Bible, and it doesn't just mean the seat of emotion. It means your mind, your soul, and the seat of emotion. It's all of it. The heart is, it's who you are. And so who is the disciple? What has happened in the disciple? A couple of weeks ago, I, I set up the three words that we're going to use to kind of summarize this process of discipleship or being changed by the gospel, which I'll, I'll give you a picture of that on the stage here in a moment. Those three words were, were these, grace, repentance, and affections. Grace, repentance, and affections. And so in a picture here, before Christ, Paul tells us that we're all dead in sin. Every one of us. He says we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead in sin and trespasses. We were headed towards despair. And so last week, I wanted to make sure we didn't get confused on which side was good and which side was bad. So I picked that which depicts all evil in the world. Right here. Sinner. Over here. So that we can always remember, don't go that way. Don't go that way. And we all know this is clearly the way of defeat, right? <laughs> 20 years running. Now... Okay, and so in a picture, oh, by the way, okay, so hold on. In a picture, we were all right, we were dead in sin, surrounded and close to evil, and we were headed this way, and then grace. Grace is the unmerited move of God in our heart that awakens us to salvation. Grace is Paul on the road to Damascus, and in a moment, he's on the ground. Who are you, God? And dead things stay dead until something breathes new life into them. And you can dress dead things up to make them look alive, but they're still dead because what you're wearing doesn't determine whether you're dead or alive. It's the breath that's in you. If you didn't understand that metaphor, sometimes we're dead, but we wear the clothes of religion and we think we're alive. But we're not alive just because we wear the clothes of religion. We're alive because new breath has been breathed into us. And that is grace. Grace is the unmerited move of God in our heart that awakens us to salvation. And so grace hits us when we're on this path. Grace doesn't hit us because we say, well, I think I might be interested in the things of God. Grace doesn't hit us because we think that seems like a better path. No, we were dead. Grace hits us because God is love. And so grace hits us. And then Paul teaches us in Romans 2 that what grace is supposed to do is lead us to repentance. And so then after grace hits us, we, we, we go through this process of repentance. And I read the first parts of Psalm 32 and, and, and taught through the, the five phases of repentance. And phase number one is conviction. And what conviction does is it alerts us to the fact that something is wrong inside of us. Now, this happens both in our initial process of salvation and also ongoing in our Christian life as we fall back into sin or as we um, go back into bad habits, bad patterns, sinful ones, okay? 
And so in our initial salvation, we repent. But then even as we're in the process of now growing in Christ, sometimes our heart still longs for the things of the world or the flesh. And sometimes we, we still choose sinful patterns and habits, and we have to do this process again. So phase one is conviction. It alerts us to the fact that something is wrong. Phase two, then, is confession. It's an acknowledgement to God. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. This is wrong, and, and I acknowledge it before you, God. And then after that, the scriptures teach us forgiveness comes in, and this is the goodness of God, and that, uh, that we have uh, been convicted by sin, we've confessed sin, now we receive forgiveness. Now, maybe you've seen this in your own life or in someone else's life. They uh, have a, a meaningful conviction. They have a heartfelt confession, and then you look at their life three weeks or three years later, and it looks like they're doing the same thing again. And you say, but how can that be? Are they forgiven? Very possibly, yes. But they haven't gone to phase three, which is crucifixion. See, phase three is the crucifixion phase where, where uh, after the conviction and the confession, uh, Paul says it immediately after the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five, to crucify the passions and the desires of the flesh. That then has to come this part through the power of the Holy Spirit where we no longer let that thing have a hold on us. And some of us, we've tried to cru crucify sin. We've tried to do that all on our own, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come along and to crucify us, or to help us crucify, not us. Well, yes, us. Crucify the flesh inside of us. And so then the Holy Spirit comes in, and, and the Holy Spirit begins to crucify uh, what, what's going on inside of us. And at that point, then we reach to phase four. And I want to introduce you to phase four and phase five, because in that moment, then what has happened is our heart is turned away from this. And now, because we've turned, we can start to move and set our gaze and our affections and our love and our deepest desires on something new, and we can leave behind this. And I said, sometimes what we try and do is we try to carry this with us. Look how disgusting I look right now. All right. You don't get to carry this with you. You leave it behind, and then you journey on. This journey from here to there, this process is called discipleship. The more theological term is sanctification. It's the process of things changing inside of us and us beginning to reflect then Christ more. So I want to talk about that process this morning in Psalm 32. I want to introduce you to phase four of this process, Paul, or Paul, David, Paul was not alive. David says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Another translation says, I will show you the best way to live. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Phase four is counsel. The counsel of the Lord will come. It says his eye will be upon you. He knows you and he's going to walk with you through this process. You're not alone in it. He's going to counsel you through the process. He's going to teach you uh, through the process exactly how to do that. Now, here's what we know on this side of the cross, that the counsel of the Lord and the ability to walk the life that he's talking about here is called the Holy Spirit. And so in this moment right here, when uh, after the confession has taken place and, uh, and the crucifixion has come, the Holy Spirit has now come upon you as a follower of Christ, and he counsels you through the Holy Spirit to help you move through this process. You don't just move through this process on your own. The Holy Spirit helps you do it. 
This last week, uh, I was up in Traverse City with Lindsay and some friends, and um, I went and hiked the dunes by myself, the, the great sand dunes there, which are now snow dunes, and it is way easier to hike them in the winter than it is in the summer, uh, which was good. And, and so I'm hiking these, and it was really snowy, and there's not really a path, and, and I was starting to get a little lost at times, but fortunately, they have these markers along the path. So every time I got off the road, I would just look for the next path or the next marker, and it would bring me back. And what I want to do this, this morning is I want to give you four indicators that you're walking down the right path. Because phase five is where you end up. And phase five is where I want every one of you to end up. And phase five is where I believe every one of us can end up, regardless of what the struggle is over here. Regardless of what it is that has held us back over here, I believe that the power of the gospel can transform that, move you, and move you to this place of victory. So four indicators that you're headed down the right path. The first one we're going to see is in Romans chapter 12. Paul says it this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The first indicator that you're headed down the right path, that you've gone through this process, is that your mind begins to be renewed or transformed. Said a more clear and easy way, you begin to think differently. When you were headed this way, you had one thought pattern. You, you, you thought, uh, as Paul explained in Ephesians, you thought like the world. You thought under the captivity and the domain of Satan and your thinking in every area of life. You just thought how you thought everyone was supposed to think. And your thoughts matched everybody else's thoughts. Your thoughts about money, your thoughts about sex, your thoughts about politics, your thoughts about relationships, your thoughts about marriage, your thoughts about everything. And your thoughts about all of those things were just like everyone else's thoughts. Of course, there were little nuances, but of course, at the heart of it, the thoughts were, you you thought that way. And then you met Jesus. And then grace wrecked you. And then you began to turn this way. And as you started walking this way, as you start walking this way, some of you are really new in this journey. Some of you are further along in this journey. Some of you have been in the journey for a really long time, but you're not very far along. Hopefully we can move today. As you begin to walk this, your, your thoughts begin to change. Your thoughts about everything I just mentioned. And, and then you begin to explain some of those thoughts to people, and they go, well, that's ridiculous. You give away your money to a church? Why would you do that? The whole point is to get it. And then you go, oh, I used to think that too. And now I just want to give it. They go, that's crazy. And you say, we haven't even talked about sex yet. <laughs> like, yo, you just have to read the first page of Genesis. The first page of the Bible, and it settles three things. (laughs) What marriage is, who's supposed to get married, and the fact that there are two genders. First page of the book. 
And you go, you think like that? You think virginity is awesome? Yeah. You think there's only two genders? The science is new? Nope, 8,000 years old. 8,000. You think, yeah, why? Because I believe the Bible. Next week, we're kicking off a series, by the way. It's called The Bible. As I already got you. All right. <laughs> Sweet. Um, there's a tagline. As relevant today as the day it was written. And we're going to kick that off next week. Get this crazy thought. Christians believe the Bible. You believe that? Yeah. You believe all of it? Yeah. You think he's coming back on a white horse someday? I guess. That's crazy. I know. I believe it. You know why? Because I know if you believe it, you'll end up over here. And I know if you don't believe it and you act contrary to it, you're just going to keep going deeper and deeper into this path. And there's nothing over there that's good for you. Nothing over there that's good for you. Not in this earth, not in the next one. So that doesn't sound very loving. It is not loving in any way to let people walk down this path. Your mind begins to change. You begin to think differently. And even when the world, Paul says it, he goes, some of the things that we're going to believe, people are going to call it foolishness. But it's actually the wisdom of God. So your mind begins to change. And, and one of the ways that you know you might need to repeat phases one, two, and three is if in you're walking down this path and you don't think the way the Bible thinks. It might just be an indicator that, okay, there's still something in your flesh that is still more geared towards that than this. And, and that's called spiritual growth. And it's okay. We're not gonna, we're not gonna crucify you over it. What, 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 what we want you to do is just be introduced to the truth of God so then you can be convicted, confess, repent, and move toward freedom. Which, by the way, is the whole point of church and the whole point of preaching. Like This part gets hard because Paul's like, my job isn't even be to, to be liked by people. I hope some of you like me. But, you know, the point is, my whole job is to present the truth of the gospel so that none of you are walking that way and you walk this way instead. So our mind begins to change, and where it hasn't changed, where it hasn't yet aligned with Scripture, it's an indicator that there's something over there that we love more. And by the way, that's normally why. There's something over here that we think is better to hold on to, and it could be anything. Any action, any thought, it could be anything. We think it's better to hold on to this than it is to walk in God's plan. And that's why we do that. Now, the second thing that begins to happen as we're walking down this journey is, is, is we begin to change our natural responses. Paul says it this way, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. And then immediately after that, he gets into that whole crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. That as we're walking along this process, we begin to change how we naturally respond. We become loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle. Now, someone out there is like, yeah, I mean, that's just not my personality. Cool. You can repent of your sinful personality. Like, you might need to. 
I know I'm hitting the same point twice. <laughs> your personality is not an excuse for sin. Change. Let God change you. Let God change you. And so as we're walking down this process, then um, we become loving and joyful and gentle and kind, and these things work together. Because a lot of the things that used to steal your joy, the reason they stole your joy is because you used to think that way. You see, when you begin to think that uh, a new way then, and you start thinking that way, then you can actually have true joy because you don't think incorrectly anymore. Or a lot of times the way you respond to things or you used to respond to things, once your thinking gets changed, you'll naturally respond differently because your thinking changed and it all kind of works together. And so you're walking down this process and the way you think has changed and your natural responses have begun to change. And these are indicators that you're headed down the right direction. And by the way, this morning, if you're like, well, this doesn't sound like me at all. Well, then I need to tell you about Christianity because this is what it is. This is what it is. It's, it's us being changed and refined in, into this and moving down this path. Third indicator that you're headed down this path, that you're, you're walking the, the right way. Paul says it in Romans chapter 12 like this. This is immediately after those two verses that I just read. He says your, chain, your, your thinking has changed, and now that your thinking has changed, you're being transformed. He says, let me tell you what happens next. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to Everyone among you, everyone among you, this is such a brilliant piece of writing, because what Paul is doing here is he's saying, if you don't agree with me in what I'm saying right here, or what I'm going to say next, here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. Everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What's he saying? He's saying, if you don't agree with me on what I'm about to say, it's just because you're arrogant. Brilliant piece of writing. Because now he's set it up. He's like, go ahead, disagree with me. You arrogant person. And then he says this. He says, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's all Paul is saying, that as you're working through this process and as you're moving in and as your thinking has changed and as you're bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then what happens is you then begin to align yourself and connect with and contribute to the church, that you're drawn into that. And I think what Paul is getting at is he's saying where this doesn't happen is because we, for whatever reason... I don't need to tell you. You can figure them out yourself. For whatever, for whatever reason, at some point, this thought gets in, well, I don't need the church. I don't need it. It doesn't need to be a part of my rhythm. It doesn't need to be part. I don't, I don't need that. I can figure this all out on my own. And Paul is saying, you might think that, and he gives us the root reason why. He gives us the root reason why. And he says, so, so what this process looks like then as you're moving along is that you've, you're connected to and now you're uh, are connected with and contributed then to the local body. Because why? Because as you move through this process, you begin to love what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? His church. He calls it his bride. 
And so he says, okay. So, so, so you get formed into here, and now you're in the body of Christ, and you're a part of the body of Christ, and, uh, and you're surrounded by the body of Christ. And, and the body of Christ then is then actually used to help uh, you in this other process, sometimes to challenge you in the way you're thinking, sometimes to help refine your patience, right? And, and so we, we, we partner in then, and then we're, we're continuing to move. And then the fourth indicator, the fourth sign that you're, that you're like headed in, in the right direction, uh, we find in Psalm 37.4. Some of you can probably quote this verse by memory. It's a famous one. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's saying, take joy in the Lord, uh, set your affections on God, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's our word, right? Affections. And set your affections on God, set your heart towards him, and he will give you the desires that you have inside of them. Now, here's, if we're saying a picture, again, what, it, what this verse is not saying is, Journey towards God and carry this with you, and eventually God will say it's okay. That's not what he's saying. What God is not saying is figure out some middle place where you can both have your heart towards him and your heart towards that. What he is saying is that once you've journeyed through this process, once you've worked through this repentance stage, once you're into these phases, that eventually as you move down this path, the very desires of your heart actually change. The things that you used to want, the things that you used to think were so important, the things that that you used to crave, the things that you used to think, if I just get that... If I just have this, or, or if I do this, it will produce whatever, and the whatever is what you most deeply desire. That as you work through this process, you actually, your, your very desire changes. And then he says, and I'll give you those ones. I'll give you those ones. Why? Because he's a good God. He's a good father. And he wants to give you those. Like, get this. I used to be a Michigan fan. I grew up one. Dumbest purchase I ever made. I bought a Charles Woodson jersey for 90 bucks when I was like 11. That was all of the money I had. I went all in for Michigan. Then I went to Ohio State. Enough said. I got saved. Here I am. But no one would have looked at 12-year-old Steven and thought thought he's ever going to be an Ohio State fan. And there are many things I could look at my life and say, there is no way that I will not desire those things. And now I can look over here and say, I don't want to be anywhere near those things. No power, no control. Again, why? Because as you work through this process, the very desires of your heart begin to change. And as this happens, and some of this is sequential and some of it all is kind of just happening at once, but as your thinking begins to change and as you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit and as you connect with and contribute to the local body and as your desires begin to change, you've kind of moved through phase four, which is all the counsel and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you want to know, like, what's the partnership between you and the Holy Spirit? Uh, let me use snow as an example. Many of you probably shoveled two weeks ago, and it was ridiculous. The snow wasn't as heavy as all snow, but there was a lot of snow. And so you just kind of threw it on the driveway so at least you could get your car in, right? One day of 55 degree weather, and what happens? Whoosh. In the metaphor, you are the shovel, God is the sun. There's a role that we play in all of this. But, but when, when you're working through this process and you finally do get back somewhere, you kind of look back and you go, yeah, there was like a repentance process and there was a transformation process that had to happen. And there was a moment when you kind of decided, I'm done with that and I'm turning this. But then as you get through the process, you kind of look back and you go, man, God, you were the one doing it all along anyway, weren't you? And he was. And that's phase four, counsel, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And those are benchmarks, indicators, guys, that you're headed down this path, that you are a disciple of Christ. Oh, but phase five is the fun one. Because phase five, phase five is this, it's in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Phase five is Christian freedom. Phase five is victory. Phase five is you're different than who you used to be. Phase five is uh, in the process of spiritual growth post our salvation, you look back and you, man, uh, Paul says, I've been changed from one level of glory to an next. Like I'm, like I'm being transformed. In our initial salvation perspective, like we don't even look back at the old us and say, uh, that was like a worse version of me. We actually look back and go, I don't even know who that was. I'm actually something new. Like phase five is the point in the journey when you finally kind of take a second and you stop and you look back and you go, wow, look at what God has done. And the only way to get to that point is when you go through the process. And the repentance process at the beginning, the conviction and the confession and the crucifixion is painful. That's why I use the word crucifixion. And so if you think you get to go through this whole process without any pain, crucifixion doesn't exist apart from pain. There will be a point when your heart will be wrestling you. Don't turn. Don't turn. You do need this. You have to have this. You'll never be fulfilled or satisfied with this. You can't defeat this sin. It will always have a stranglehold over your life. You will always run back to it. Or you are done. You have messed up too much. There's no reason to get back up. You're always going to live in defeat. And there will be the moments when the enemy or his best weapons which are bad Christians, will make you stay here. And it will be hurtful, and it'll, it'll be painful. And then when God, when you, when you get to that point, when you've, when you've realized that, when you've turned then, oh man, God begins to move you down this path. And the point is that every one can arrive at victory. And victory might look completely different than what you thought victory would have looked like when you were turned the other way. 
When you were turned the other way, you thought, this is victory, and if I trick God and I turn around, then he'll give me that thing. Sometimes we think that. What victory is, uh, is not necessarily what you would have defined victory when you were looking that way, but because now you've been changed and your very desires have changed, you can get down here and you can arrive at victory and it looked different than the victory that you thought was a victory, but it's a better victory than the victory that you had originally thought you wanted. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God who always leads to victory. Thanks be to God who always leads the captive in, he says, triumphal procession. Other translations say victory. Thanks be to God who always takes the captive, who always takes the one whose heart is geared this way, who always takes the one who's trapped over here and will always lead the captive into victory. Paul says, thanks be to God, because if you will walk through this process, he will lead you to a place of victory. And it does not matter. It does not matter what, 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 the, uh, what the issue is, what the sin is, how bad the world thinks it is, uh, how, how much you've been trained in your upbringing that if you did this one thing, you'll never be loved again, or, or if you do this, then, then you're done. No matter what it is that's over here, thanks be to God, because he can lead that even to victory. The hope in all of this is it doesn't matter what you've struggled with over there because there's only one solution to all of the problems over there, and that's the gospel. That's why I don't get more afraid when somebody tells me I'm struggling with this than I do with this. There might be different practical ramifications, but the stranglehold on your heart is the same, and only the gospel is the thing that can uproot it and turn you back. And David teaches us how you know now you're on the the path to victory. This is what he says. He says this in verse 7. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Or the NLT says, you surround me with shouts of victory. Here's how you know, other than those four signs, here's how you kind of know you've emerged out of phase four and you're getting closer to phase five. Because a long phase, actually it should be in all of these phases, as you're working through this, here's how you know that you're headed in the right direction. The first thing he says, you are a hiding place for me. Earlier in the psalm, he said he covered and he indicates that he hid. The thing that you used to hide from, you now hide in. David said, I used to hide from God because I was ashamed. He says, now I hide in God. The the thing you used to run from, you now run to. Where you used to hear words of defeat and failure and condemnation, now it says you hear shouts of deliverance. You hear shouts of victory. That as you're on the journey, you're you're hearing, and and Zephaniah seems to indicate that some of those shouts of victory are going to come from the Lord himself, where he's just going to be over you saying, you're doing it. You're making it. You're walking in freedom. That sin's not going to define you. That failure moment's not going to be the end of you. You are going to walk into victory. And God is just encouraging you along the way. That's part of the shouts of victory. I think the scriptures teach us that other parts of the shouts of victory are actually the church in its proper context coming alongside around you and saying, we're not leaving you back here. We're going to walk with you the entire process and we're going to believe with you that you're going to end up there. And so some of the shouts of victory are your brothers and sisters in Christ saying, you're not done. You're not over. This isn't going to control you. You will move forward and we're not going to abandon you until you get there. And that's what the church is supposed to be. And 
And one of you, or some of you might be thinking, yeah, but there's certain things. There's certain sin struggles, or there's certain things that people have done in life, and there cannot be any victory for people like that. There cannot be victory in your situation because of whatever reason, because you did this or you did that, whatever it might be. And I want you to know that that is a lie of the enemy. I want you to know that, that anything in you that thinks this sin, this, uh, this, this wrongdoing, this past is the thing that is going to mark and control and define and describe me forever is a lie. That there is victory. That Christ always leads to, that there is a victory in order to have. And again, the victory might not be what you thought it was going to be, but it will be a victory. And God's victories are always the best type of victory. The end conclusion being that regardless of how hopeless the situation leads, that if you will walk down this process, you can end up at victory. And what do these victories look like? I'm going to give you a list here in a second of what the victories look like. I'm going to try to just draw some or connect some dots for you just in case. This idea came because uh, two days ago I was playing euchre with my dad and Susan. Lindsay and I were playing against them too. And they jumped out to an early 4 nothing lead, uh, which seemed very despairing. And then we kept playing, and Lindsay and I won the next 10 points. And then we started another game, and we beat them 10 to nothing. 20 straight victories. That felt better. I am gloating. I'm okay with it. And I was thinking through that this morning, and I was thinking uh, that, that the, the 4-0 start that we were down is exactly how the enemy tries to handle life a lot. And oftentimes, those, 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 the, the four defeats that we face uh, are, are um, they're, they're a fear of leaving all of this behind. They're a fault that we think is inside of us that can never be changed. They're a failure that we think uh, that defines us. Or it's a, a, a diminishing of faith that we think will never rise back up. And what the enemy loves to do is he, he loves to get any one of those four defeats over you and get you trapped into thinking that the fear, the fault, the failure, or the lack of faith is going to be the thing that owns you and you are headed to a loss. And he loves to get us in that moment and to, and to get us in despair in that moment and then to think my only path now is just to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Let me get, let me get personal just for a second. Because maybe uh, some of you who don't know me, maybe you think, well, you know, your life looks pretty good, right? Like your wife can sing and, you know, you, you have a job and, you know, and, and kids and, and they're really cute and, and all of that kind of stuff. Let me tell you that I buried my dream four days before my 30th birthday. I watched my life crumble. At 30, I was jobless, unmarried, kidless, no future that I thought led anywhere to victory. Hiding in my basement in shame. You know what happened? 
God put people around me. Two of them are sitting right here in the front row. One of them's Angie. You guys know her because of the way she worships. Angie said, I will take my worship flags and stab them in Satan's heart. Get up! (laughs) And we started walking down this path. And I'll tell you, the repentance part is brutal. It's brutal. We started walking down this path, and, and every time I wanted to give up, Tom or Angie would look and say, victory is ahead. Keep walking. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. And every time I thought, no, it isn't, because of all of this, it can't happen. There is no such thing as victory. They just kept screaming, shouts of victory are ahead. And sometimes people can see it for you before you can ever see it yourself. And that's why you need people around you reminding you, this will not define you. You are not done. Keep walking because someday you're going to get over here and you're going to stand on top of this thing and go, I never thought I'd be here again. And listen, don't get me wrong. I'm going to stand on here until I fall. Every time I pull into this parking lot, every time I look at my wife, every time I look at my kids, every time I look at my life, every time I look at my friends, the only response is to go, to God be the victory. It's all because I am. And I want you to know that regardless of what this is, There is a moment in your future. You can come on the stage and stand on this stool if you want, where you will look out and say, I never thought I'd be here. But you will be. Because God always leads the captive who will walk down this process to victory. So let me tell you what those victories might look like if you're willing to walk to let the Holy Spirit break in. It could look like victory over every addiction, drug, alcohol, food. By the way, there's 20 of these, one representing every point that Lindsay and I destroyed my dad and Susan in, okay? Victory over every emotion. You now bear the fruit of the Spirit. Victory in every broken marriage. Victory in every estranged relationship. Victory over depression. Victory over anxiety. Victory over fear. Victory over hopelessness. Victory over infertility. Victory over loneliness. Victory over sexual sin. Victory over disappointment. Victory over every attack of the enemy. Victory over a battered past. Victory over fatherlessness. Victory when you fall because he will pick you back up. Victory when you mess up because he has already forgiven you. Victory when the enemy attacks your mind because you can now take every thought captive. Victory when the enemy says you are done because he has a new beginning. Victory over sin and death because he has made you new. In every one of these, there is victory for the person who will just repent and turn and let the Holy Spirit move them down. And so the band's going to come out here and they're going to sing a little song. It's new to most of you. 
I don't know if that was a good enough cue. Come on out. Okay. And it's a new song, and many of you don't know it. But we're going to sing it tonight, or today. And we're going to sing it again a couple more times later. Um, because I want this song to carry you out of here today. Because I want you to know that regardless of what it is, this can be your future. And if we didn't believe that, then what's the point of this whole gospel? If it can't change anything or anyone or any past and redeem it and make it beautiful, then what's the point of this whole gospel? And so I'm going to pray, and in a moment I'm going to invite you to stand. And for some of you, this song might just be a song of faith. A, a song of, uh, uh, of it building up back inside of you to get you to, to, to turn back around. And like a wind, it's just going to start pushing you closer and closer. For some of you, it might just be the light turning back on again to believe that there is a victory that is out there. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage of um, Scripture, for these passages of Scripture. Lord, I pray this morning that as we repent because of grace and as we walk through this process, I thank you that it always leads to victory. Even when the victory looks way different than we ever thought that it would, because along the way you're changing our thinking and our desires. And Father, I pray that for any in here who have given up, that they would keep working down this process through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would keep changing the things that they can change, that need changed. And I pray in faith over each person in here to one day get to a place where they stand on a stool and say, I never thought I'd be here because they have seen your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.